reading, you will find in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know what it says on the board there because I gave you the reading that I read two weeks ago and I neglected to change it when I sent the bulletin information. So please turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I will begin the reading at verse 17 and read to verse 37. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your, offer, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your uh, accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So far, the reading of God's holy name of God in a godly manner. Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No. A lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how must a Christian view life? How must he look upon the work of God the Father, the Almighty? Must he? For the sake of Christ, say no to this life. Or must he, for Christ's sake, say yes to the things of this life? That we saw the last time, that is the very real and relevant issue that underlies the oath question, which is the focus of Lord's Day 37. In the first sermon, you may recall, we heard about the grace, the blessing of the Lord revealed in the oath. That was the first point of what will be two sermons on the oath question. The remaining two points are the poverty of our life exposed by the oath and the triumph of the oath expressed in our life. The oath, remember... The oath intends to give certainty to the life of man in a world filled with deception and deceit. The oath, I said, assumes both the reality and the power of sin. God had given man the gift of speech, the gift of communication. By means of that gift, man was able to break out of his loneliness and establish communion, fellowship. But man, see, man made a shambles of that beautiful gift by his sin. The gift of communication, which was meant to serve the communion of love, became a, instead the weapon of attack that tears it apart. Just think of it. The words people speak no longer give certainty to our life in society because all too often 
our words have been cut off from God. That we saw is the situation brought about by sin. And it's against that background that we have to understand the origin of the oath. The oath, remember, is a call upon God to be our witness. The oath means that in the midst of all of the uncertainties of life, there is again a place of certainty. The oath means that the words of man, in themselves uncertain, have been anchored again in God. The oath means that we, in binding ourselves in our words to God, also bind ourselves to our neighbor again. The oath means that the lie in the world of man is overthrown by the faithfulness of God. For we swear by God. That is, we swear by him who has revealed himself to us in his word. We swear by him whose name is truth. And see, it is the name of God that is the point of certainty in the midst of the lies of man. Think of it this way. The God of truth has, as it were, placed his name under our life in order to give our life a solid foundation again. Now we can build our lives again upon a solid foundation. In our oaths, we link our words to his faithfulness and truth. So our promises and agreements attain certainty. Our words rest upon the solid foundation of the name of our God. Well, that we saw, that is the grace, the blessing of the Lord revealed in the oath. That explains why the Church of the Reformation fought to maintain the oath. The Anabaptists, by rejecting the oath, rejected the revelation of the name of the Lord as the foundation, as the only foundation that can give certainty to our life in society. Ah, you see, everything, surely also our words, everything must be anchored upon the revealed name of our God. Only then and only so will society, societal life be healthy. Well, against that background of the, the review of the first sermon, and I come to the second point, the poverty of our life exposed by the oath. You see, there is that word of Jesus recorded by Matthew which, to say the least, strikes us as confusing. But I say to you, said Jesus, do not uh, take an oath at all. 
you hear it, Jesus says here, Do not swear at all, not by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your own head. Rather, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Well, isn't that clear? Doesn't Jesus say here that we are not to swear an oath at all? Isn't he saying that the oath, any oath, is of the evil one? No, not really. Rather, here Jesus uncovers, here he lays bare the poverty of our life as it is exposed by the oath question. See, on the one hand, we maintain against the teaching of the Anabaptists that the oath is a gift to us, a gift of grace. Because, as we saw, it is by means of the oath that that word of man is bound to God. In order that so truth and faithfulness be confirmed. But, how about we must also understand that the oath is and that it means a great poverty. You ask, why? Well, think of it. The oath can be misused. The oath, which means to bind our words to God, remember. The oath can become a sham, a terrible fraud. The oath can be used to mislead someone in very high places, as a matter of fact. Well, now, Jesus had seen that. Jesus had seen that the Jews of his day were masters in that. Oh yes, they knew very well that the oath served, that it was intended to give authority, to give power to our words. They knew that the oath served to make their words believable and trustworthy. But the Pharisees who were first-class literalists, how the Pharisees saw the chance to evade both the severity and the power of the oath. How, you ask? Well, they said, if, if you swear by God, why then you're stuck then you've got to keep your word. Mind you, only if you have sworn by God. Now think of it. How often people say those or similar words also today. By God, I will do this or do that. And you know why they do that, right? They use such expressions in order to add power to their words. But the Pharisees, 
by stating the question that way, meant to make room for other possibilities, which they also devised. See, the Pharisees came up with all kinds of oaths, oaths you understand, by means of which they meant to deceive. For example, if you had sworn an oath by the temple, by then, said the Pharisees, then that really doesn't mean a thing. Why not? Well, it was possible that you had meant only the stones of the temple. But, I believe you had sworn by the gold of the temple, why then you were bound to keep your oath. After all, that gold, in distinction from those stones, had been dedicated to the Lord. And so it went on down the line. If you swore by the altar a dead hunk of wood, your oath was not binding. You could break it with a clear conscience. But, oh, but if your oath was sworn by the gift on the, that altar, if in other words it was sworn by the sacrifices on that altar, sacrifices dedicated to God, see, then surely it was a binding oath. Or again, if you swore an oath by the law, you had nothing to fear. After all, you could have meant only the paper, the parchment whereon that law was written. And an oath sworn by a piece of parchment, surely such an oath was not an oath by God, now was it? But, but if he had sworn by the words of the law, see, that was different. Because those words had been spoken by God himself. Therefore, an oath sworn by those divine words surely had to be kept. Well, such were the ploys devised by the Jews in the days of Jesus. And you sense it immediately. The consequences of such behavior simply had to be and surely was disastrous. Think of it. The Jews of Jesus' day had very craftily placed the oath in the service of the lie. Oh yes, they had a number of severe oath forms which were duty bound to keep. But alongside of them, they had devised a number of lesser oath forms which could safely, that is, without negative consequences, be broken. Now think of it. The Lord God had given the oath to break the power of the lie, that so life and society might be possible. But the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, said, you may lie and deceive as you see fit. 
You may be as unfaithful as you please. You may even forswear, perjure yourself as long as long as you see that see to it that you use the right oath form. <coughs> and see, that meant the complete corruption of the Jews and of their society. This was worse than the sin of perjury as you know it. You see, when someone is guilty of perjury today, it is still possible that he admits to himself, I was wrong. I sinned. And then it is possible that such a person becomes so restless, so ill at ease, that he confesses his sin. But in the system devised by the Jews, Perjury was not only considered quite proper, it was also sanctioned and defended. Lying was apparently no longer a sin, since truth, the telling of the truth, speaking the truth, had purposely been rendered powerless by their oath formulas. Well now, Jesus had seen that in his day. Ah yes, he had seen it, how a child of the covenant would promise something to his neighbor. He had heard how such a one would say, by the temple I'll do such and so. The man had used an oath-like expression in order to lead his neighbor to think I can trust this man, while all along that man planned willfully to deceive his neighbor. And see, if that neighbor should, at a later date, want to accuse him of deceit, he would simply answer, I never said, I swear by the gold of the temple. I only said, I swear by the temple. And that, are ah, that kind of oath, I don't have to keep. You hear it? They were behaving like a kid who promises something to a friend with his fingers crossed behind his back. Only... They were not kids. So you hear it. So they lied and deceived. They used the oath form. They were giving the appearance that they were really on fire for the truth. While all along they planned to break their word. And then they soothed their conscience by telling themselves that it was not really an oath they had spoken. Ah, yes, they assured themselves that not even God could touch them. So they permitted themselves the liberty to deceive each other. The one was crafty enough to use a deceptive oath form. The other was trusting enough, or should I say 
foolish enough not to pay attention to the exact wording of the oath word spoken. And the result was that the meek, the pure in heart, the merciful, the people who hungered and thirst for righteousness were victimized. Think of it. The oath which, remember, had been given as a weapon in defense of truth had now become a weapon in the service of the lie. The oath which had been given to give life certainty was now used to make all of life uncertain. And all of that was done with an appeal to God, an appeal to the name of God. Well now, Jesus seeing that, not only denounced that, he also called his people back to embrace the character, the nature of the oath, as it had been given by the Lord. Remember, every oath is a calling upon God. That is, the essential nature of the oath. Therefore, regardless of what form you choose, whether you swear by the temple or by Jerusalem, by heaven or by earth, it does not change the fact that you swore an oath. After all, the temple is God's house, said Jesus, and Jerusalem is his city. And heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. See, that's the point Jesus underscores here. Whoever swears an oath, he says, regardless of the formulation he chooses, whoever swears an oath always swears by God. And see, that means that he binds himself to be faithful because he binds himself to the name of God. He links his own faithfulness to the faithfulness of God. He says, as the Lord is faithful, so am I. As the Holy One of Israel is truthful, so am I. Christ, however, not only affirms that an oath is always a calling upon God, and he not only warns against a flippant use of the oath, but he also warned anything more than this comes from evil. See, that word, more than anything else, I ask, that word underscores the poverty of the oath. Because you see, that word tells us that the oath is and, and it remains a poor thing, even if it is not misused. See, the fact that we do need an oath sometimes, that fact is proof positive that there is still sin. It proves that the lie has not been wiped out. When we, in some of our speaking, specifically call upon God to be our witness, 
why then we admit that not all of our words, all of the time, could pass that scrutiny. Oh no, not that our other words are outright lies, but we do have words of which we say, God hears them. That is, we do have words which we specifically ask God to hear. And just so, we also have words that we do not consciously speak before God's face. That is, we speak words which we don't ask him to listen to. Words which we may even hope he doesn't hear. Right? When Jesus then says, anything more than this comes from evil, then he is not saying that an oath as such is sinful. Surely not. But then he does affirm that the oath is there because of the reality of sin. See, if there were not the lie, the oath would not be necessary. In other words, in a world that has to make use of the oath is never an ideal world. And see, what Jesus is now pointing to is this. Things will be right with our words, with our speaking, not, oh no, not when we, once in a while, call upon God to be our witness. Rather, things will be right with our communications when every word we speak is spoken in truth. When every word we speak is spoken coram Deo, that is, before the face of God. See today, people swear an oath on certain occasions. But therein, therein lies an acknowledgement that the lie still has a lot of territory left to it. That brings to mind what was said some years ago about President Clinton. Comments to this effect. His problem was not, not, mind you, that he told lies. That apparently was par for the course for him. His problem was that he may have encouraged people to lie under oath, thus obstructing justice. Ah, yes, the lie has a lot of territory left to it. Today, people do call upon the name of the Lord, but only on special occasions when it is very important that the truth and nothing but the truth be spoken. As if you understand, I ask, as if it re is really not so important that only the truth be spoken every moment 
of the day. As if God must be witness only to some serious and important matters. And not that every matter is serious and important to him. When you think that through, you realize that as Christians, we never really have peace, can have peace with the oath. Oh yes, we will swear an oath when the government demands it or when necessity requires it. We will do that in order to maintain truth and trustworthiness. But the oath will remain a sad reality for us. For the lie must still be fought against. Truth has not yet conquered. The Lord God is called upon on certain occasions. We don't yet see him present, nor do we want him to be present at every occasion. See, there, the misery, our misery, which the oath so vividly reveals to us. We have not yet arrived where we must be herein. Truth is not yet absolute in this world. And we, ah, we have not yet learned that every word we speak must be spoken before the Lord. Also those words when we do not specifically call on him. But that is also why we look forward to the time when the oath will no longer be necessary. And we know we have the full assurance that that time will surely come. We look forward to the triumph of the oath expressed in our life, which you'll recall is the third point. Remember, Pentecost came. Christ poured out his spirit upon the church in our hearts. We are all anointed to be prophets as well as priests and kings. And prophets, see, prophets are not people who speak the word of the Lord one day and their own words the next. Prophets always speak the word of the Lord. They always speak the truth. Today's prophets, the Christians, understand that word of Elijah the prophet, who said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. They understand that Elijah the, the, the Tisbite, by that oath word, swore to tell Ahab the truth. See, prophets of the Lord always have the truth in their mouths, and they speak every word, coram deo, before the face of God. Well, now, we confess that we all share in Christ's anointing, right? That means, among other things, that we have all been anointed 
to serve the Lord as prophets. And see, that means that all our speaking must be, as it were, the word of God. We don't only on occasion draw near to God, but our walk, our daily walk of life, it must be before the face of God in truth. And see, when we more and more live like that, why then we will less and less need the oath. Then we won't have to call upon God occasionally to bear witness to our words. For then, yes, then we know that He bears witness to all our words, to all our speaking, all the time. We won't have to speak an oath ever, for all our words will have the power of the oath. Our yes will be yes, and our no, no, always. See, by the power of the Spirit of God, our words will stand firm, as firm as the Word of God. So our fellowship with each other will be wholesome and pure. Elijah swore, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Well now, we today, we stand before the face of the Lord continually, always. Therefore, we no longer really need the oath. For it is, for it is not, all, not all at all an exception, but the rule that we do our speaking in God's presence. Because that becomes the rule. And see, because that becomes the rule, we don't have to repeat it each time anew. See, we no longer swear an oath per oath formula. We swear it every second of every day in all our speaking. For we are the prophet of the Lord, anointed to holy office. Let us then so acquit ourselves for the glory of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. We will now join in 